Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, December the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the aftermath from Dolphins 20, Giants 36, snap counts, team rankings, individual stats, and the need-to-know data from Week 15 for your Miami Dolphins. Plus, an ominous quote from Coach Flores on Josh Rosen, the future at wide receiver with Parker and Preston, and the marquee name set to hit free agency that ought to be connected to Miami. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the aftermath piece up there live right now, as well as Jason Harina's latest piece on Brian Flores and the successful path of his coaching career. And we start somewhere that we usually don't go on this podcast all that often with some negativity. And this quote came through a Barry Jackson article of the Miami Herald. And I caught wind of it from at EJ football on Twitter, Eldon Jensen. He is a big Fins fan and a great follow as well. And he shared this quote that I'll go ahead and read to you here from Jackson and his question to Brian Flores regarding the idea of Josh Rosen starting these final games for the Miami Dolphins, because a lot of the beat guys are insisting that because they're playing so many young guys at other spots that it's time to get a look at Josh Rosen for the final two games and asked if he wants to see Rosen in one of the final two games. Flores said, we will always do what we feel is in the best interest of this team and play the guy that gives us the best chance to win. We feel that's Ryan. It's been that way for the last eight to 10 weeks. End quote. Then another question from Barry, does the organization believe there is anything more it can learn about Rosen by seeing him in a game again? Flores responds, quote, you can always get more information, but we have what we have, and that's practice reps and the game reps he had and his play for Arizona from a year ago. The most important thing is what we see in practice on a weekly basis. In practice, we're talking about practice, guys. And this mandate from the fan base or even from folks that cover this team to just put Rosen in the game because, well, he's younger and I suppose that makes more sense has always blown my mind. Like, don't you think these coaches have enough of an idea of what they see in practice every single day to go ahead and deploy their particular snap counts for every single position? I mean, when I played sports growing up, if you didn't perform in practice, you didn't play in the games. And I would hope that's the case in professional football. And I guess I find it somewhat odd that some of the pretty regular listeners of this show, and this isn't accusatory, it just makes me wonder if you people listen to me, hope that sarcasm translates through on the podcast, but I keep getting the same questions on Twitter about Josh Rosen's future or even the regular proclamation that the plan has always been to build this thing around Josh Rosen. Well, 
for about the 76th time, it isn't. Rosen is not long for this football team. It started off in training camp after a miserable session of OTAs throughout the summer. Then I was there for training camp and watched this guy come onto the field after almost every single person on the team, always the last quarterback to come out of the building and get extra work in before practice. That then led to the individual drills where he consistently missed on air, throwing to stationary coaches with no pass rush and no coverage with great regularity. And then that translates into the team portions of practice with poor body language, missing throws, not commanding the huddle, an inability to make checks at the line of scrimmage to get them from good from bad plays rather into good ones. And we saw Brian Flores, or at least I did, visibly annoyed by questions about Josh Rosen at training camp. The day they fired Pat Flaherty, or the following day I should say, the entire media room was packed with people that had questions about the offensive line and Pat Flaherty, but Jeff Darlington of ESPN was there and he wanted to know, and he was the swing and dick in the room. He wanted to know about the quarterback battle. And Brian Flores basically said, look, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick because we can't get Josh Rosen to do the things we need to do to be successful on offense. That's me paraphrasing, but he was very very visibly annoyed by the questions because I think the writing was on the wall for Flores at that time. And then he gets a start in week number three against the Dallas Cowboys. And I truly question whether or not that decision came from the staff itself because all we did was see Rosen demonstrate the same issues that have persisted from his college career to Arizona and now into Miami. And so when I see the beat writers or fans or whatever suggest that Miami should start Rosen to see what he can do these last two weeks, I say emphatically no. No, we know what he can do and more importantly, what he can't do and what he can't do is operate this offense in a manner that allows the team to evaluate the rest of the offense or the team for that matter. You've got to be consistent and sharp between the ears. You've got to identify the front, get from bad plays into good plays. You've got to know the coverage pre-snap and they're going to disguise that coverage. So you need the film study to give you the answers to the test on Sunday. And those mental shortcomings in Josh Rosen's game led to physical shortcomings in the games on Sundays. Late reads, which got receivers blown up, almost got Alan Hearns killed. It bogs down the entire principle of the offense where they want to get the football out of the quarterback's hand based upon his pre-snap read. The poor location is a whole other issue that, again, going back to camp, has always been a mechanical issue for this dude. So he ain't it. And to quote Nick Saban, I'm not going to say that he is it. So quit asking. On the other side of that ledger, with enough negativity to get you through this entire podcast, you know what is super promising? The future at wide receiver with Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. I've mentioned several times on this podcast the last week how I had the weekend to myself, and one of the things I did was watch the Dolphins broadcast versions of that little hot streak when things turned around after the Washington game, and they got Williams and Parker both cranking together post-bye week once Fitzpatrick got back into the lineup, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. Defenses had a hell of a time keying on one or the other, and it allowed Fitzpatrick to just attack the best possible matchup over and over again as Miami's passing offense erupts with Williams and Parker in those three games with Fitzpatrick back in the lineup. They go from averaging 176 yards passing per game through the first five up to 236 yards per game in the next three, a 60-yard improvement, and then of course Preston Williams had the ACL injury, but in those three games, Williams and Parker 
Parker can bind for 30 catches, 367 yards, and four total touchdowns. You just cannot give safety help to both sides on those guys, and they both have elite downfield ball tracking skills and enough speed to get vertical. And you can't do it without taking away something out of the running game. So I imagine a 12 personnel package with those guys on either side of the ball, an extra gap on either side in the running game, because you can split two tight ends to either side off either tackle. And then if you want to play too deep, we just run the ball. If you want to bring a safety down, you're giving man coverage with no help to one of the two trees. And we can exploit that throughout the course of a four quarter football game. I like how you can construct the passing game around those two especially with the emergence of Mike Gesicki as a souped-up slot receiver, and now that Durham Smythe is really getting it down as an inline blocker the last few weeks. We'll see if that's how they want to proceed going forward, but they have options and attractive ones on the offensive side of the ball at the skill positions. On the other side of the ball, a lot further to go in my opinion, but I am, however, confident in building the defensive line around Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins, but my goodness, do they need some help, particularly at linebacker and on the edge of the defensive line. We'll talk more about that in segment three. We'll touch on the Aftermath article and the snap counts and all the team rankings from the stats on Sunday. But first, before any of that, if you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrapped to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and at Wingfield NFL on Twitter, and we will share and retweet your tweet. From me here at Locked On Dolphins and the entire Locked On Podcast Network, we thank you for your support all year long. It is Tuesday here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and that means you can find all of the stats and team ranking and snap count updates up on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com, the aftermath, Dolphins 20, Giants 36, and we talked on the podcast on Sunday slash Monday about the Dolphins breaking an NFL record for player usage using their 80th player of the season. Nobody in league history has ever used that many players in one single season. And that number figures to grow on Sunday and, of course, in Week 17 against the Patriots as the Dolphins have added even more players to the roster since last Tuesday when players are eligible to be signed and appear on Sunday. So we'll see more of those guys. But the Dolphins did have some claims to fame this season that are kind of falling by the wayside now, namely the red zone success. And all of a sudden, two weeks worth of red zone woes have dropped the Dolphins from the third best red zone offense in football all the way down to 22nd in the NFL. And that sort of proves how volatile that stat is, but the Dolphins could have punched the ball into the end zone a few more times and stayed in their top 10. Instead, they had four trips inside the red zone that resulted in 13 points and scored a touchdown on just one of those. They are now at 53.8% red zone success, 22nd in the NFL. They rank 27th in third down conversion rate at 33.5. They have the 29th ranked scoring offense, 29th in total offense, 23rd in passing, and they are dead last in both rushing yards per game and yards per rush in the ground game. As far as drive success goes, the Dolphins are 27th in average yards per drive, 29th in yards per possession, and they score 28.5% of their offensive possessions. That ranks 28th in the National Football League. And after starting off hot on defense, allowing just seven points on the Giants' first five drives, including two interceptions, I should say, of Eli Manning, it was all downhill from there. The Giants scored on four of the next seven drives, 
and the Giants had five scoring drives of 51, 65, 40, 66, and 40 yards on Sunday. The Dolphins' defense ranks 30th in overall defense, 24th against the pass. They are 31st against the run and dead last in points allowed. They are the first team this season to allow 50 total touchdowns. Oakland is next at 48, Arizona after that at 46. So plenty of bad records being approached here by the Miami Dolphins on both sides of the ball. The good news is they are still one of the most disciplined teams in the NFL. They had seven fouls on Sunday and are now the fourth least penalized team in football and the fifth lowest in terms of penalty yardage assessed against them. Let's talk about some snap counts here on the offensive side of the ball. Once again, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes wire to wire, played all 71 snaps on offense. The running back work share was split evenly across the board. Both Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin played 34 snaps. That's good for 48% of the time. Devontae Parker coming off the concussion protocol played almost every snap. He was out there for 67 of the 71. Albert Wilson gets a major jump up in both usage, production, and, and workload. He played 57 snaps. That's 80% total. Alan Hearns was next with 33. That's almost half the reps at 46%. He was a little bit banged up coming into the game. Isaiah Ford played 31 snaps. That's good for 44% on offense. At the tight end position, Mike Gesicki's playing a lot of football. 55 snaps. That's good for 77%. A big drop off then as Durham Smythe played 23 snaps and Clive Walford 19 in the game Sunday. The Dolphins shuffled the offensive line, but not because of injuries. Julian Davenport, Jesse Davis, and Daniel Kill Gore all played all 71 snaps in the game. Michael Dieter played 53. Shaq Calhoun played 52. Evan Brown played 37. And Jamarcus Webb was out there for two snaps on Sunday. So again, the Dolphins' offensive line remains healthy, but shuffled because of performance and giving at least 37 snaps to six different guys in the game on Sunday. Michael Dieter earned the highest pass blocking grade in the game, although I would object to that fact because he allowed the most pressures per snap, so I'm not too sure what PFF is doing there. Daniel Kilgore had the most pressures allowed with three, one sack, one hit, and one hurry. Also had a substandard run blocking grade down in the yellow, right around 53 in terms of PFF grade. Jesse Davis had another solid game out at right tackle. He had the best run blocking grade of the bunch and allowed just two pressures on 71 total reps, a hit and a hurry. No sacks allowed. Julian Davenport allows another sack. Evan Brown and Shaq Calhoun were credited with just one pressure allowed among both of them, a hit charge to Evan Brown. Calhoun, though, had the worst run blocking grade of the entire offensive line. At tailback, I thought Gaskin and Laird both had ghastly games in this one on Sunday. They combined to allow four pressures total on just 13 pass blocking reps, and Patrick Laird had two more drops in this game. He has three drops on the season on 22 targets. I think I have four total for him there though, so I think PFF might be missing one there. Laird averaged 1.67 yards after contact and received a 54.3 running grade from PFF. That's an F. Miles Gaskin was much better with a 72.8 grade and an average of 5.89 yards after contact, more than four yards better than Patrick Laird's. Ryan Fitzpatrick had some misses and the costly fumble, but he also had seven drop passes from his receivers in this game and pressure just crippled the Dolphins passing game. Fitzpatrick was two of 10 under pressure for 30 yards in this game. Devontae Parker caught four passes. All of them moved the chains. And for the season now, he has 47 catches that have picked up first downs out of his 59 total. That's 80% of his catches either moving the chains or winding up in the paint for touchdowns. He did have another drop in this game, but he also had a chance for a third touchdown pass on an off-target throw on a back shoulder throw from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Talked 
about Albert Wilson's progression and production in this game. He looks better than ever, and I think the best sign that he could be back to his old self is that he forced six missed tackles in this game. He had not forced six missed tackles all season long. He caught five of seven targets. That's good for a yards per target average of 8.43, and his 59 yards was also a season high. I thought Clive Walford could have had a huge day. He did catch two passes for 34 yards in addition to some good blocking in line in 12 personnel offset formations, but he dropped two passes and both of those could have been big plays for the Dolphins offense. Walford could have gone over 60 yards on four catches with a good blocking day. That could have been the best day a Dolphin tight end had this entire season, but he dropped the football. Durham Smythe also had an excellent blocking day. He earned an 83.5 grade in that department and he sprung essentially all the Dolphins' big runs off right tackle or left tackle when he was put in those 12 offset personnel. He was also perfect on nine pass blocking reps, did not allow a pressure on those plays. And rounding out the offense was, in fact, Mike Gesicki as he caught four of seven targets for 47 yards and he had 11 yards after the catch running the football in the Giants' secondary. On the other side of the ball, the defensive snap counts went as follows. Christian Wilkins again again leads all defensive linemen with 53 snaps. That's good for 78% of the workload. Devon Godshaw again was next with 40 reps, good for 59%. That's right around where you want Godshaw, I think, going forward. Avery Moss played 35. That's half the reps. John Jenkins played 33. Taco Charlton was out there for just 21. And Zach Sealer, the newcomer, got 19 reps on the defensive line, but I'll be perfectly honest, I did not notice him barely at all in that game. At linebacker, tons of linebackers got snaps in this game once again. Jerome Baker played 68, all of them, 100% workload. Vince Beagle plays 55, that's 81%. Raekwon McMillan played 42 snaps before exiting in the third quarter with an injury. Sam McGuavin got 38 reps, that's good for 56%. Andrew Van Ginkle had 16. Trent Harris played 7. And another newcomer, Jamal Davis, played 3 snaps in the game. In the defensive backfield, Nick Needham leads the way. He missed one snap, was out there for 67 of them. Adrian Colbert played 65, Eric Rowe also played 65, and Jamal Wiltz had 59 snaps. That's good for 87% of the game total. Nate Brooks had 27, Lyndon Stevens had 24, and Montre Hardage played 12 snaps in the game for the Dolphins on Sunday. The Dolphins had to have set a season low in terms of pressures in this game. The Giants dialed up 29 pass plays in this game, and Miami got pressure on just three of those snaps, two hurries from Christian Wilkins. He had a negative grade because of one missed tackle, I suppose. I don't know how they do that, but Wilkins has two of the pressures. The other pressure comes from linebacker Sam Aguavin, who recently is coming on like gangbusters. He was targeted in coverage twice with no completions, had a pass breakup, and he picked up that lone sack of the game. Going back over the last three games, Aguavin has allowed negative one receiving yards on six pass targets. Two of them were caught, but for a combined negative one yard, he also has two sacks in those three games, five run stops, and the pass breakup. I thought Jerome Baker had one of his best games of the season. He was a part of 12 total tackles, eight for solo tackles. He allowed just 15 yards on three passing targets. He only rushed the quarterback five times. It appears they don't really want him going after the quarterback anymore, and he did not get any pressures on those five reps. Vince Beagle was right behind him for the best grade in this game on defense. Beagle had an 84.6 on PFF. Baker had an 87.5 on PFF. Beagle did not have an effective day rushing the quarterback. He didn't get any pressures, but he did have that interception on one of the two targets. He also made three run stops in the running game. 
Devon Godshaw, consistent as they go. Five tackles, three of them for run stops. Just continues to be the most consistent defender on this Dolphins defense. Adrian Colbert was tabbed with four missed tackles. I'll have to check that out on tape, but he had a rough game. So did Nate Brooks, who was beat on all three of his targets for 26 yards and a touchdown defensively. Nick Needham had a rough go in this one statistically. We talked about the ball that he got his hands on that wound up going for 51 yards and a touchdown to Golden Tate. And that play basically took his average through the roof. He allowed three catches on five targets for 102 yards and a touchdown. So you take away the 51 yarder and the touchdown, which finished the play and you can do that. You can't just take away stats off the board. But if he did get that ball down to the turf, it would have been two of five for just 51 yards, a better average for him there. And then finally, I threw him in here because I was surprised by how little of an impact Andrew Van Ginkle had. He didn't have any stats, no pressures, no tackles, no run stops, no marks in the passing game. The only stat he measured in 24 snaps in this game was a penalty, so not his best day for the rookie linebacker. Okay, we have more to come here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, including some top-level premier marquee free agents the Dolphins could pursue this offseason, as well as a couple of massive offensive tackles declaring for the NFL Draft on Monday. Both of those things coming up next. But first, if you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breaking.com slash locked on. That's breaking as in breaking bad. Breaking T make sports t-shirts centered around teams' most passionate moments from their history. Great for all fans. Go to breakingtea.com slash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts for the sports fan in your family. Finishing up the third segment here of the Tuesday Locked On Dolphins podcast with the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the aftermath, as we always take a look at a irreverent third segment of that column, taking a look now at the best possible free agent buys the Dolphins could possibly have, as this week, this season, I should say, is just two weeks longer, eight more quarters, two more games. I am going to be in attendance for the game on Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see if I get to see my fourth winning locker room as a member of the media or my first losing locker room of my journalism career, but one way or the other, I cannot wait to get down to Miami. The plan on Saturday with me, my wife, Kevin Dern, maybe even Channing Crowder. We'll see if he wants to come join up. We're going to go out and watch some football games and get some beers, enjoy the ambiance of South Florida, and probably go down towards Los Olas by Fort Lauderdale. Come hang out with us if you're in the area. Get some beers, get some food, watch some football as we all kind of gear up and plan for the most important portion of the calendar this year for this Miami Dolphins team. We've essentially been looking forward to the offseason since, I mean, even the strongest anti-tankers among you would have to say since week two, I think. Most of us probably felt that way before the season when Laramie Tunzel was traded or when they just continued to cut off veteran pieces and tried to build for the future. Hell, this offense or this offseason really didn't put anybody on the roster of note besides some scratch-off tickets that worked out, guys like Eric Rowe and the like. 
But for the most part, we've been preparing for this upcoming offseason for an entire year, and it's right around the corner. We're going to have playoff football in our lives here pretty soon, and then once the Super Bowl concludes, it'll be free agency season, and that'll be the funnest time of the year for Dolphins fans leading into the most important draft in recent memory as well. I am completely stoked about the offseason, and quite frankly, the thought of that is going to get me through these final two weeks, through January into February, and finally into March. So why don't we go ahead and look at some key players that could be in play for the Dolphins when free agency begins in March. On the column, we talk about some of the positions Miami have identified as solid going forward, like the receiver position or your defensive tackles at tight end, some linebackers like Vince Beagle, Jerome Baker, Raekwon McMillan, even Andrew Van Ginkle that have contributed in some facet and could be rotational players or even starters going forward. There's a couple of defensive backs in there, Eric Rowe and Nick Needham. We'll get Bobby McCain back and Xavier Howard. We'll see what happens with Rashad Jones. The Dolphins' biggest boost will come from the IR as the 17 players they have on injured reserve is the second most in football. But we now have identified the main the main needs of this roster, quarterback, offensive line, pass rush, secondary, all these spots need revamping. The rest of the roster could use some reinforcements as well, but we'll start there at the quarterback position. Look, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick might be the best veteran option next year. We'll see if they make a splash play, if they go out and trade for a Matt Ryan, a Matthew Stafford, a Cam Newton, whoever that veteran could be. Unless the Dolphins make a big splash, I think it'll be Fitzpatrick and a rookie next year. And if that first pick in the draft is a rookie, Tua Tungavailoa, Justin Herbert, eh, maybe Jordan Love, but he'll have to sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick as well. So that position, we'll figure it out. But let's go ahead and look at the other positions of need and some of the premier marquee names available in free agency. Joe Tooney has not re-signed in New England. I think there's a very good chance that he shakes free up there and he makes a ton of sense to plug and play. We've talked about this on the podcast at length. The reason that teams are apprehensive to go after free agents or that players themselves are afraid to leave is because you never know going from one program to the next if your skill set will translate in that program. But the good news is for these former Patriots, they can come down to South Florida and rest assured they're going to be coached the right way and put in the best position to succeed. So I think Joe Tooney makes a ton of sense for Miami. Both he and right guard Brandon Scherf will be connected to Miami this offseason. I would be pretty surprised if the Dolphins don't come away with one of those two guys this March. The tackle and center positions are not quite as fruitful in free agency. Center is a barren wasteland. That's got to be the draft. And that's a big need for this team, whether it's Creed Humphrey, Tyler Bayadash, Nick Harris, I think the Dolphins will draft a center pretty high in this year's draft because the Patriots teams were always built strong up the middle with good center play from David Andrews, Ted Karras, and even going back to Dan Copen in the early Tom Brady days. They've always had good center play. I think that'll be a point of emphasis at the tackle position. You can overpay for Jack Conklin, who in my opinion is an average right tackle who will get big money. He reminds me a lot of Nate Solder a couple years ago. I would stay away from that one. If Anthony Costanzo shakes free a left tackle option from the Colts, I would be all over that, but I doubt he walks in free agency. So to me, I think you go after the guard and you draft tackles and centers this year to repair the offensive line. On the defensive side, I think it's far more clear where you can make your improvements. There are names that are set to hit free agency all over the list here. And we start with Baltimore's Matthew Judon, who is basically 
or basically could be the Dolphins' Donta Hightower in this defensive scheme. The guy that can rush from the inside, rush from the outside, play the edge in the running game, can fit the interior gaps as a run defender, drop into coverage. He does a little bit of everything, and he is the one guy, I think, on this entire list that would be worth paying elite top-shelf money because he's going to give you big returns and give you the value of that big free agent contract. I don't think he'll shake free in Baltimore because they just saw Zadarius Smith as well as CJ Mosley leave in free agency. So why wouldn't they pay Matthew Judon? If he does shake free though, throw the entire bankroll at Judon. Kyle Van Noy in New England is plug and play, a perfect player in this scheme because we've seen him have success in New England. If he departs via free agency, that to me is a no-brainer. So is Kyler Fackrell, the Green Bay Packers outside linebacker. I've talked about him before on the podcast. They just signed Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, formerly of Baltimore and Washington. So Fackrell, who had 10 and a half sacks last year, is still playing good this year, but more as a rotational linebacker. He'll probably shake free. He makes a ton of sense to join Patrick Graham here in Miami. Other players on the defensive line, I think Yannick Ngakwe and Jadavian Clowney are premier options. The Dolphins have to kick the tires on either of those guys if they shake free. Dante Fowler and Shaquille Barrett are both scheduled to be free agents, though I think their fits in the scheme are a bit more dubious. Ngakwe and Clowney, Judon and Van Noy, give me one of each of those guys at each position, and you can turn this defense around very quickly with just those two players, as long as you give yourself some help in the secondary as well. By now, we know about Byron. Aaron Jones, who the Dallas Cowboys have said probably won't be back. He is a great safety slash cornerback combination, a perfect fit for Brian Flores. So is Logan Ryan from Tennessee, a former Patriot who plays both inside and outside at cornerback. You could probably sign one of those two guys and just be good at the cornerback position going forward, although both will cost you a pretty penny. And then Justin Simmons in Denver really came out of nowhere this year with a big all-pro type of season. He's the number one graded safety on pro football focus. He went to Boston College, Brian Flores' alma mater. There's a report on him on the NFL.com scouting report that says that Simmons wants to be a coach in his post-playing career and he uses the instincts and study habits and knowledge of the game to really make himself a top flight player. That is Brian Flores' safety to a T. Could they go after him? It's going to cost them elite safety money, Rashad Jones level money if they want to get it, but he would be a nice fit here. He jumped 126 inches on the broad, 40 inches on the vertical, ran a 6.53 cone. And if you go back to my combine or I think it was Senior Bowl, other stuff for working out for the draft last offseason. I shared the Patriots measurements at all positions and the defensive backs, they jumped off the page on vertical, broad jump, three cone. They can change direction. They can run. They can hit. And that's what Justin Simmons is. Either way, this is a loaded free agent class on the defensive side, on the offensive line. The Dolphins could make some headwaves doing that, but that would go against the model of roster building that Flores learned in New England. So these deep pockets and roster needs could lead to more activity than any other team in free agency, or they could sit on their hands, continue to extend their own guys, and build this team smartly and wisely with more frugality in mind than going crazy in free agency. One way or the other, this is going to be the most fascinating offseason I think this team has had in a long, long time and the most important one in an even longer stretch of time. One last note here on the podcast, both Makai Becton, the massive tackle from Louisville, and Josh Jones, another huge tackle from Houston, declared for the draft on Monday. 
Both are great options in this draft. They are long and athletic. That's the ideal prototype at the position as this team brought in several tackles that fit that build last offseason. Lucas Nyong from Texas Christian would be the other best option to fit that, as well as Austin Jackson at USC. Plenty of big, long, athletic tackles possibly available in this year's draft class. We'll get more into that on coming podcasts, but as for today's show... That is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for an all 22 and crossover Wednesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.